This is the word of the Lord, Genesis chapter 9 and verse 18 to 28. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah. And from these, the people of the earth, the whole earth, were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done to him. He said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years, and all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Please be seated this morning. Well, good morning. I greet you in the name of the Lord. Welcome you on this Lord's Day Sabbath as we continue our study through the book of Genesis. When we last gathered to consider the book of Genesis, we learned about the Noahic covenant. After a year and almost three months of being on the ark, the waters have subsided, the ground is dry, and God has commanded Noah and his family to exit the ark. The eight that exited the ark are stepping out onto a whole new world. This world, though, is not like the original creation. The Lord did not return Noah and his family to the Garden of Eden. I think we made that clear last week. Man has not been returned to his original state of innocence. This is, if you will, creation 2.0. This is creation 2.0. But we, we must not lose sight of the garden as we progress in our studies because the scriptures will continually use intentional parallels between what we have seen in the garden and what we shall see in this new creation. We learn that life is sacred and that life must be treated as sacred because man is created in the image of God. We learn of the specific elements of the covenants in the Bible. Just a recap, a covenant is a divinely sanctioned commitment or relationship. Covenants are imposed by God for the improvement of man. We learn that there are basically two different kinds of covenants. There's a covenant of works wherein you obey, work, and receive a promised reward. And then there is a covenant of grace wherein you do no work. But rather by faith you receive the benefits of the works of another, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Noahic covenant is... Different in that the Noahic covenant, the promise of the Noahic covenant is not dependent upon your work and it's not dependent upon your faith. It is a promise of unilateral from one side sovereign disposition that is uh, irrespective of your work and irrespective of your faith, meaning doesn't matter what you believe and it doesn't matter what you do. This promise benefits all of creation. It's a promise from God. Of what? It's a promise of God that promises to preserve all of creation. That promises to preserve all of creation. We learn that that uh, covenants are the way that God condescends to man. The way that, that God allows men to commune with God. Covenants contain sacramental signs that point to the agreement. For Adam, the covenantal sign was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For Moses, the sign of the covenant was the Sabbath. For Noah, what is the sign of the covenant? 
the bow in the clouds, remember? Or the rainbow, the sign of the covenant for Noah and for all of creation is the, the bow in the clouds. And again, covenants always have representatives, federal heads, covenant heads. Uh, I said that this morning in the narrow road, federal is Latin for covenant, covenant heads. The Adamic covenant made with Adam, the Noahic covenant made with Noah, the Abrahamic covenant made with Abraham, and so on. These are all the federal or covenant heads of their respective covenants. God made a covenant with Noah that he would never again destroy the world by flood as he had done. And again, this benefits the entire world. But we asked last week, what was the basis for God's promise of preservation? Why would God promise to preserve the earth? We learned that God's promise to preserve the earth was based upon a previous promise. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God had made a promise or it has a plan of reclamation. God had a method whereby he would reclaim human nature. Repair it and bring it to glory. And what is this? It's the gospel. God had promised the gospel and God would bring the gospel promise to pass by preserving the seed of the woman and and by preserving the seed of the woman, preserving all creation until the seed of the woman appears and the promised covenant of grace is fulfilled. Amen. We learned that last week. God was preparing To send his seed, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that in his uh, doing, dying, and rising, he would destroy the works of Satan and bring many sons to glory. This is the plan of God. And God still preserves the earth today. Because God, by the Holy Spirit, is still drawing his elect out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So we are still here. We are still here because the sons of God, the daughters of God are still coming. So Christ is delaying his return until all of his children have come into the fold. All of his sheep have come into the flock. Just as those who in the Old Testament awaited the arrival of the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. We now wait for his return in glory when he will bring all things to consummation. And now today, with God's help, we shall see the the advancement. And that's a very important word. The advancement of the great promise of God. In the verses that lie before us today, and I have just three points for you this morning. Number one, Noah, not the promised seed. Number one, Noah, not the promised seed. Verse 18, the sons of Noah went forth from the ark. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Listen to this. Ham was the father of Canaan. See that in parentheses there in your Bible? These three were the sons of Noah. And from these three, the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. Brothers and sisters, I would like to remind you of a point that we made some time back concerning the authorship and original audience of the book of Genesis. Who is the author of the book of Genesis? Moses, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing the book of Genesis or wrote the book of Genesis. Now, listen to this. Who is the first intended audience of the book of Genesis? Who, who is the, who are the original hearers or recipients of this book? Class, this is your time to participate with me. Who, who are the original recipients of the book of Genesis? Is, was it you? Are you the original recipients? No, you are in year 2018. You are not the original recipients. This was not originally written to you. Who was this book originally written to? Hebrews. Former slaves from Egypt 
that are now wandering in the desert. Important. This is important information that will be most helpful for us as we journey through the rest of the book of Genesis. So what is taking place then? Scripture is transitioning. There's a transition from the description of the Noahic covenant to now describing the descendants of Noah and life in the new creation. And for the first time, we are being introduced to the sons of Noah by name. We knew that that Noah had sons before this. We just didn't know their names. And so now in the ninth chapter, in verse 18 and moving on, we are introduced to the sons of Noah by name. And with this introduction, the sons of Noah, Scripture is once again picking up on a previous promise. Listen to this again. As Scripture is introducing to us the the names of Noah's sons, Scripture is picking up on a previous promise. Keep that in the back of your minds because we will return to that. The sons of Noah are Shem, Ham, and Japheth. They are not listed in the order of their birth. Why do we know that? Or how do we know that? Because Ham is later described as being the youngest of Noah's sons. Scripture, curiously, but intentionally points out that Ham was the father of Canaan. Not once, but three times. Keep that also in the back of your minds. Noah's three sons. From Noah's three sons come all the peoples of all the earth, the scripture says. Scripture gives us the names of these sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. There are three other sons of a new creation that scripture names by name. Do you remember who they are? Cain, Abel, and Seth. Keep that in your mind. Scripture names three sons of of Adam. Scripture also says in Genesis chapter 5 and verse 4 that Adam had other sons and other daughters. But does Scripture name them for us? No. Scripture only names for us three sons of Adam. Cain, Abel, and Seth. Scripture also names for us three sons of Noah. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Are you with me? But unlike Adam, Scripture does not say that Noah had other sons and daughters. Rather, these are the only sons of Noah. These are the only offspring of Noah. Scripture does not testify that Noah had other sons and daughters. But rather, verse 19, from these, the sons of Noah, the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Once again, These, from these sons of Noah, come all the nations. Now, this is going to be a side point, but Scripture is intentionally doing this. What's the point of that? What's the point of saying, from these came all the nations, or all the nations were dispersed? Why does that matter? Because Moses, the writer, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, listen to this, is emphasizing the unity of all mankind. Why does that matter? Who is the intended audience of the book? Former slaves. Why does that matter? Because these former slaves have been taught, as most slaves are, that they are not human. They're less than human. That they have descended from lesser, inferior men. And now Moses is giving to these former slaves a true history of their lives. Uh, Not only of their lives, but of all people's lives. It is a history of the world. Moses began by testifying that Yahweh was the one true creator God. That he is the God of heaven and earth and not Amra or Osiris or the false gods of Egypt, but that Yahweh is the true creator. And now Moses is testifying by the Holy Spirit that these Hebrews who were once slaves and their slave masters who ruled over them for over 400 years, that they have all descended from from the same family line. How impactful is that for, for former slaves? This truth speaks against the foolish divisions 
that man attempts to create against man. That man attempts to create against man because of the color of our skin or because of the differences in our physical appearances. That we all descend from the same family. There is only one race, the human race. We have differences in our cultures. We have differences in our worldviews. But we are all descending from Noah and the sons of Noah. Verse 20. Noah began to be a man of the soil. And he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. Now, we're going to, to, to tread through some murky waters. But I'm going to tread slow with you. Noah began to be, as other versions say, a husbandman, a man of the earth. The language is intentional. Why does the Bible say that, that Noah began to be a man of the soil, a man of the earth? Who does Scripture inform us was formed from the soil or dust of the ground? Adam. Just as Adam was formed from the earth, Noah becomes a man of the earth. God planted a garden and placed Adam in the garden to work it and to keep it. And now we have who? Noah. Doing what? Planting a vineyard. Planting a garden. He will be the tender and farmer of that vineyard. He will work it and keep it. Just as the world is presented to us after the fall as being a new creation, Noah is being presented to us as a new Adam. He is the, the new Adam of the new creation. Are you with me? Does that make sense? In the beginning of the chapter, we find similar language of the initial creation. God blesses Noah and his sons with a familiar or similar blessing that we find in the first chapter, but under different conditions. God blesses man with what? What does God bless man with? We talked about this last week. What does God bless man with? Huh? Authority. Yes, a woman too. Thank God for women. God blesses man with authority. God blesses man with dominion. God blesses man to, to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. God blesses man with the right to do so. Prior to the fall, we learned last week, creation would submit to man and aid him in his pursuit to obey God's commission. Or creation was at man's disposal to be used for man's good. Or man's advancement of God's promise. Or God's, man's advancement of God's commission. Are you with me? After the fall, God gives man a similar blessing and commission. Remember, what is the blessing? Authority. Dominion. Fill the earth. Subdue it. It is not a blessing of spiritual regeneration. It is a blessing to be fruitful and multiply. Amen. To fill the earth, subdue it. But there's a difference now. What's the difference? Creation has fallen. Creation will no, no longer aid man in his pursuit to fill the earth, to, to subdue it. Creation will now resist man. And at every turn in his pursuit of obeying God's commission, man will have to now bring the earth under submission by fear and force. Where before creation would submit to him willingly. Right? With that established, we must not ignore the obvious parallels that Moses, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is drawing to our attention. Noah's the new Adam. Adam was created, here's how, here's, here's how we're going to make that point. Adam was created morally upright. Adam was created sinless. Therefore, he was holy. Adam walked in obedience to the commands of God. Adam walked with God. Until one day, he was beguiled and led astray by his wife who was tempted by the serpent. Adam partook of what? The fruit of the tree, the fruit of the forbidden tree, and fell into sin. He partook of that which God commanded him to abstain from. Adam broke covenant with God. And because Adam broke covenant with God, we have all fallen into sin. When Adam fell, we all fell with him. Amen. Adam 
then realized, what did Adam realize when he disobeyed God? That he was naked. Adam realized he was naked and felt ashamed. He attempted to cover his shame or nakedness with perishable garments, fig leaves, until he was by grace clothed by God. Are you with me? Noah has found favor with God. Noah was graciously given grace. Noah was a blameless man. Blameless in a generation. Noah walked with God. For 100 years, we are given the testimony that Noah walked with God as a preacher of righteousness amidst a wicked and vile generation. Noah stood in spite of opposition. Noah built the ark in spite of persecution until the day when God commanded him to enter the ark and escape the judgment. Noah stood. Noah stood the test of remaining in the ark for nearly a year and three months until the earth was dry and God commanded Noah and his family to exit the ark. Noah worshiped God with a sacrifice. And God made a covenant with Noah that would benefit all of creation. And it, 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 it may have appeared to Noah... Okay, it's all over. Okay, it's all done. All has been accomplished. There, there is no more work left to do. It has been said by many, many theologians that, that Noah returned to his, his trade that he enjoyed before the flood. That Noah returned to his garden. That God called Noah to be a carpenter out of the garden. And now that the flood is gone, the judgment of God is gone, Noah is now returning, as it were, to his vineyard. And they have appeared that he can simply now return to his quiet work. Return to his simple life in the garden. And as he's in the vineyard, he takes off his breastplate. He lays down his sword. He takes off his helmet. He is at ease. For the scriptures testify that Noah began to drink of the vine. And Noah began to drink of the vine until he became intoxicated by the fermented fruit of the vine. Noah became drunk. Falling into sin in the vineyard that he planted and he lay naked or uncovered in his tent. Brothers and sisters, what's the point? What's the point of bringing this out in the story? Well, what is God intending for us to learn? Let, let me say this as, as a side point, but a necessary point. I would argue that God, and I wrote this in bold in my notes, God is not primarily, not primarily, not first or not chiefly intending for us to learn the dangers of drunkenness. Although it is a point that cannot be ignored. It's there for a reason. We can't ignore it. All throughout the scriptures, drunkenness is condemned by God and is associated with accompanying sins. You with me? Proverbs 21, Jeremiah 3, Isaiah 28, Luke 22, 1 Corinthians 6, Ephesians 5, just to name a few. They all condemn the excessive use of alcohol. Drunkenness is not a sickness. Drunkenness is not an illness. Drunkenness, according to the scriptures, is a sin against God. Are you with me? Scripture does not, listen to this now, scripture does not condemn the use of alcohol. Scripture condemns the abuse of alcohol. And there are two beliefs among believers concerning alcohol. There is the view of total abstinence and there is the view of strict moderation. The total abstainers say to drink alcohol opens the door to sin and opens the door to lack of self-control. So they altogether abstain from the use of alcohol. They avoid any weights that might pull them down and also avoid possibly offending the weaker brother that by their drinking, alcohol may cause that brother to stumble. Let me say as a note, if you have past struggles with alcohol, you should be an abstainer. You should avoid altogether. That's wisdom. And then there is the strict moderation view that frankly believes what the Bible teaches. That alcohol is a gift from God. 
but it must not be abused. And those who use it must practice strict moderation when using alcohol. Is wine in and of itself evil? No. Can it be harmfully abused? Absolutely. And anything can be harmfully abused. You could harmfully abuse taking Tylenol. So the abstainer must not judge the moderate and the moderate must not judge the abstainer, but we must use wisdom and listen and great caution for it. Just like everything else has the potential to wreck our lives if we abuse it. Amen. Getting back to this. Is that the point that scripture is intending for us to learn from this passage? It's a point. But is that the primary point? I don't believe so. Is scripture intending for us to do an entire sermon on the dangers and joys of alcohol? I don't think that's the main point. So then what's the point? Let's make this clear. No one knew what it was to be drunk. Maybe not because he had been drunk before, we don't know. But we do know that he lived among a people who were eating and drinking. Who were marrying and giving in marriage. No no one knew what it was by those who lived around him. By the culture that was destroyed, he knew what it was to be drunk. He knew what it was to abuse the gifts of God until the day of judgment. So Noah was not an innocent victim. Not knowing... What fermented wine would do? Noah was a willing sinner. Able to sin. Or actually only able to sin. But God gave him grace so he could choose to do right. Noah willingly sinned. Noah let his guard down. There there were no more words from God. We don't have any more words from God to Noah after this point. There are no more warnings from God. There are no more threats from God. And it would appear that Noah became comfortable. Being comfortable is a very dangerous place to be in. Scripture warns, not the unbeliever, but the believer. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. And fall, Noah did. Noah fell into the sin of drunkenness and lay shamefully naked in his tent. Now, now, who does that remind you of? What does that remind you of? It should, because that's what Scripture is intentionally doing, it should remind you of Adam. Just as Adam fell into sin and was shamefully exposed in his nakedness, so also Noah falls into sin and lay shamefully naked and exposed. Scripture is intentionally telling us that though this is the the Adam of the new creation, he is not ultimately the one that will bring many sons to glory or to rest. That's the point. Noah is ultimately not the promised seed of the woman. That's the point. His father Lamech named his son Rest, Noah, in hopes that Noah would be the rest giver. But Noah... By his fall, displays that he is not the skull-crushing seed of the woman that would bring his people to rest. Noah is a man. And even the best of men are still men at best. Noah is flawed. Noah is a sinner in need of the grace of God. The scriptures are intending to point us, listen, away from Noah. That's the point. The scriptures are, are, are intending to say, uh, the scriptures are, are, are intending not primarily to teach, to teach us the dangers of alcohol, but the dangers of placing your faith in Noah. Are you with me? Noah did not place his faith in Noah. Noah placed his faith in Christ. And that is where the scripture is taking our faces and pointing our faces. That's where the scripture is, is, is pointing us towards. Don't look to Noah. He is not the one. Noah, like Adam, has fallen. Noah, like Adam, is a sinner. Noah fell in Adam. 
And Noah has also committed his own, his own sin of drunkenness. And listen, brothers and sisters, Scripture will constantly do this through the rest of the Scriptures. It will constantly say, don't look to Abraham. He's a sinner. Don't look to Moses. He's a sinner. Don't look to David. He's a sinner. Look to David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the point. The point is, keep your eyes on the promised seed and Noah's not it. Are you with me? Number two. The seed, and, and I would put it in parentheses, so seed, seeds of the serpent. The seed or seeds of the serpent. Verse 22. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Verse 24. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew... Uh, go back to 22 again. And, and Ham, the what? The father of Canaan. How many times has Scripture said that now? Two times. Ham, the father of Canaan, intentionally saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Verse 24. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. Noah has become drunk with wine. <clears throat> Gone is to, into his tent. He has laid in his tent disrobed. That's intentional. Disrobed, uncovered, naked. And he is laying uncovered and exposed as he is laying it uncovered, his youngest son exposes his nakedness or sees his nakedness. And what does he do? He tells his other brothers of what? His father's shame. Upon reading these verses, we may say, what's the big deal? Ham saw his father naked, then tells his brothers. So what? Here's what we can't do and what we should not do. We must not read the Bible through our own lens of what we believe is proper and what we believe is improper. Meaning this, we don't get to determine what the Bible means. Got that? We have to let the Bible tell us what the Bible means. If we say, this is what I think it means to me. Error number one. Let's find out what the Bible means about the Bible. The Bible will tell us whether or not something is wrong. The mention of, of Noah's nakedness, and, and it's mentioned there a number of times. Do you see that? Noah's nakedness, uncovered his, covered their father's nakedness, nakedness over and over again. Nakedness is not something that the Bible intends for us to view as being normal. All throughout the scriptures, especially in Leviticus chapter 20, you should read that. Nakedness is connected with that which is sinfully, listen, immoral. Not that nakedness is a sin or sinful, but it is connected with immoral acts. You with me? Noah has disrobed himself and his shame. But what has caused Noah to expose his shame? Expose his shame. Drunkenness. Is drunkenness a sin? Yes. So in his sin, he is exposed. Just like Adam. What was the shame? Again, being naked is not shameful, but rather the sin of drunkenness that caused Noah to lose all sense of propriety is what is the shame. That's the shame. That's the sin. Noah's sin of drunkenness has caused him to uh, uh, improperly expose himself. And now listen, here's the point. And now his son has seized, seized the opportunity to look upon his father's shame. Seized. The opportunity. Ham saw. So just as nakedness throughout the scriptures is connected with that which is immoral, so is seeing or saw. Throughout the scriptures, especially in the book of Genesis, Moses is using the theme of seeing or and he saw or and she saw to communicate that which is sinful and immoral. You don't believe me? Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. The woman what? Saw 
that the tree was good for food. Genesis chapter two, verse or Genesis chapter six and verse two. The sons of God what saw the daughters of man were attractive. Are you seeing something going on? Genesis chapter twelve and verse fourteen, speaking of Ab- of Abram's wife Sarai and Pharaoh, the Egyptians saw that the woman was beautiful, and then she was taken to be Pharaoh's wife. What did Potiphar's wife do when she cast her eyes upon Joseph or saw Joseph? She called him, come and lay with me. Moses, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is using this theme of seeing or saw in Genesis and associating that with that which is immoral. Scripture is telling us what Scripture means when Scripture says, see, saw. What exactly was Ham's sin in seeing? There have been many suggestions. And brother, sister, let me tell you, when you follow the suggestions, they are astounding. Here's just two that were astounding that I'm not going to give you all of the information about, but they are astounding. One of the suggestions was that Ham raped or castrated his father. Others have said that Ham looked upon his father with lust or improper desires and connect that with Leviticus chapter 20 as a description of what may have happened in the tent of Noah. There are others that are more outlandish that I won't say because I don't think they're worth it. Although those may be interesting and may lend to possibly the response that we find of Noah in verse 24 because Noah wakes up and realizes what his youngest son had done to him. I do believe that they are reading too much into the text that is not provided for us there. So then, what was Ham's sin? Very simply, Ham's sin was breaking the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother. Noah was the head of the household. Noah was the prophet, priest, and king of the new creation. Without Noah, Ham would have not have been aboard the ark. And now, When Noah is in a compromised position, Ham, I love using this word, and I put it in parentheses here on my notes, Ham seized that occasion to dishonor his father, to dishonor the patriarch, to dishonor the prophet, priest, and king of the new creation. He saw his father naked. Big deal. No, brothers and sisters. If we say big deal, it's because we don't place a high enough value or priority on the fifth commandment. The way the Lord places a high priority on honoring your father and mother. It is the only command, as Paul says, with a blessing that you may live long and prosper. It is clear that the very heart of Ham's sin was a flagrant, unfilial sin against his father. For Ham to see his father's nakedness, listen, involuntarily or accidentally, would not be a crime, would not be a sin. But listen, the point is that it's not an accident. The point is is that it's not involuntary. Ham seized, that's why I keep saying seized, Ham seized the opportunity to expose his father's nakedness, to expose his father's shame, his father's sin. Look at dad, he's drunk. He not only took pleasure in seeing the nakedness of his father, but wished to expose him to his brothers in order to further his shame. Scripture is pointing out purposefully, intentionally, that what Ham has done is sinfully immoral. It is absolute disregard for his father Noah. But there's a contrast here, isn't there? Scripture not only wants you to see what Ham did, But scripture also wants you to see what Ham did not do. And what his brothers did do. You see that? Ham saw his father's nakedness. And rather than cover his shame. Like a faithful son who honors his father. He attempts to further expose his father's shame by telling his brothers, come, look, see. And this is contrasted with what their brothers, his brothers did when they heard of their father's drunkenness, nakedness, and shame. They covered their father. 
Not only did they cover their father, they wouldn't even allow their eyes to look upon their father's shame. We're going to get to that in a moment. Ham wanted to expose his father, the righteous sons of Noah, which we'll talk about in a moment, would not look upon his shame but covered him. Verse 24, when Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, cursed be Canaan. Who? Who's cursed? A servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. Noah wakes from his hangover, as it were, and realizes, is aware of what his son has done. How? We don't know, but he's aware. Noah's response was to pronounce a curse upon Canaan, Ham's youngest son. Why does Noah pronounce a curse upon Canaan? What does Canaan have to do with any of this? Why wasn't Ham cursed? Or was Ham cursed? Has Ham gotten away with his sin? No. Not in the least. Notice, Noah's not speaking out of revenge. Although it may appear to be that way. Do you see that the, the, in your scriptures, do you see the, the difference in writing style in your scriptures? It, it's gone from, from almost a uh, uniform text to now almost poetic writing. There are indentions. Why? Because Noah's speaking now prophetically. Noah's speaking now, not of his own volition. But Noah is speaking on behalf of the Lord. Why is Noah speaking on behalf of the Lord? Here's very important. Here's, this is important. Noah is speaking on behalf of the Lord because, listen now, the seed of the serpent has just revealed himself. What are we keeping track of? The promise of God. The seed of the serpent. We, don't lose sight of this. It's what we have been intending to keep our eyes fixed on the entire time. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Ham has revealed himself. How? By his sin. Of what? Of being a seed of the serpent. That's the focus, the focus that scripture wants you to take notice of. Noah is the Adam of the new creation. How many sons did Adam have that are named? Three. How many of them were elect? Huh? Class. Two. How many were not elect? Noah, how many sons does Noah have? How many sons are showing themselves to be righteous? How many is showing themselves to be a seed of the serpent? What does Noah reveal to him? Noah reveals, prophetically speaking from the Lord, that just as Ham, the youngest of his children, was the seed of the serpent, so also Ham's youngest, Canaan, would also be a seed of the serpent. Canaan would follow in his father's footsteps. Ham does not escape judgment from God. Why? Because Ham has shown he's already been judged by God by his sin. There is no record of Ham repenting. There is no record of Ham turning to faith. Ham has sinned and shown himself to be a seed of the serpent. A seed of the devil. He has shown that he is of his father the devil. He is the youngest. And he has not been chosen by God. And his youngest will also not be chosen by God. Is this Moses? Is this Noah speaking? This is God speaking. And God is saying, I don't choose you and I don't choose your youngest. How can God do that? Read Romans 9 and then close your mouth. That's what Paul says. Don't forget who this book is. And this is also important. Don't forget who this book is being presented to the wandering children of Israel. They are wandering. But they are called to a land that is flowing with milk and honey. They are called to overtake a land that is flowing with milk and honey. It is their land. They must destroy the inhabitants of that land. 
What is that land? It's the land of Canaan. And the Canaanites would be known for their child sacrifice, their idolatry, and their, for, and their deviant, flagrant sexual sins. God is revealing that the descendants of Ham will be like their father, but to a greater degree. But to a greater degree. And Moses is showing this conflict between the Hebrews and the Canaanites. This is where it all begins. The seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And it's mentioned three times. Noah said three or Moses said three times, Ham, the father of Canaan. Ham, the father of Canaan. He is showing you this, these people and their wickedness. This is the root of their wickedness. Ham is Canaan's father. Notice the actions of Ham. His descendants are of the line of disgrace and sin, and God has called them to overtake the land of Canaan. God is revealing, again, the line of the two seeds. This is, if you will, a tale of two seeds. And it continues. And God is encouraging his people that this land has been promised to them from the time of Noah. And what is worse is that Ham's actions reveal that he's rejected the gospel that Noah preached. Ham is reprobate. How do we know that? Well, let's move on. Number three and last. The seeds of the woman. I say seed, seeds. Verse 23. Then Shem and Japhet took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. Verse 26. He also said, that is Noah, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. The God of who? And let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. If you notice as you're reading through the, the sin of Ham, it, it, it goes by in a flash. His immoral acts are, are flashes right before our eyes. And yet, the righteous acts of Shem and Japhet are slowed down for our eyes. The Bible almost gives us a, a like a frame-by-frame frame shot of the, the way the righteous sons of Noah honor their father. It's slowed down, isn't it? Verse 23, look at it again. Shem and Japhet, listen to the detail, took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, walked backward, Covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward. They did not see their father's nakedness. This act of honoring their father is meant to be contrasted with the immoral act of dishonoring their father. They refused to join in their brother Ham's dishonoring of their father. And in this, the two seeds are revealed. They have believed the message of the gospel. They have honored their, their God and they have honored their father, Noah. And how do we know that, again, God is their God? Because Noah tells us. Uh, or like one of my favorite theologians and professors says, because God told me. In his word. Verse 26. He also said, Noah. Or he also said, this is Noah. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. The Lord, and that is Yahweh, he is the God of Shem. And let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japhet and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. The God of Shem, God of Shem, that's covenantal language. That's covenantal language. Shem worships the one true God. He will be the father of the Shemites who will become the Hebrews. You ever heard of Semitic? Jew comes from Shem, Semitic Shem. He is the father of, he is the father of the Shemites or the Semites. He's the father of the Hebrews. His descendant Abraham will be the father of faith. He will fall in a long line of godly men that will ultimately usher in the skull crushing seed of the woman, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is a direct descendant of Shem. And Japheth, he will dwell in the tent of Shem. Who was Japheth? 
the father of. He's the father of the Gentiles. God has always had a plan to save the Gentiles. They shall dwell in the tent with Shem. And the conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent continues just as God said it would in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. That that line continues. They cover, now here we go, they cover their father's shame and nakedness. And once again, we must not lose sight of the obvious parallels from the first, from the first covering. What is the first covering? It is God covering the sin of Adam and Eve. That when they tried to cover themselves with perishable coverings, fig leaves, God takes an animal skin and covers their shame. And now we see Japheth and Shem covering Their sin, the sin and shame of their father Noah, not only are they covering, but they will not even look upon his shame. They will not even look upon his sin. Just as God, when he saves one of his children, no longer looks upon your sin, but covers you in Christ so that your sin is no more. Throughout the scriptures, being clothed is a glorious act that points to the gracious act of God. Who covers our sin and our shame. Isaiah 61.10 I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. This is what the scriptures are pointing towards. And what Shem and and Japheth have done is pointing towards what Christ will do. Put on Christ. Be clothed in Christ. Christ. For all you who have been baptized in Christ have been clothed in Christ. He will cover your sin and your shame. Shem and Japheth's covering points back to the covering the Lord provided for Adam and Eve. And points forward to the covering that we have in Christ Jesus. Who bore our sins upon Calvary. Praise be to God. Don't lose sight of this promise. It's again, it's your scope. As you're reading through the rest of scriptures, this is the way scripture is intending for you to see, to look and to understand. In the Old Testament, the scope of those in the Old Testament was looking forward. And then the old, in the New Testament, they stood and understood that it was fulfilled in Christ. And now we still look through that same scope as we look forward to his return. Don't lose sight of this. In Genesis chapter 10, We're going to get into a table of nations where we see the descendants of the nations. And scripture is going to to rapidly run through the seeds of the serpent and then slow down when we get to Abram on the seed of the woman. That's what it's doing. The, The scriptures are about Christ and a tale of two seeds. All men hang on the belts of two men. You either hang on the belt and are condemned in on in Adam or you hang on the belt and are by grace hanging on the belt of Christ let us pray